Hey everyone, and welcome to Content People, a podcast where we talk to creatives and leaders to uncover actionable advice for listeners. I'm the show's creator and host, Meredith Farley. I'm here as always with our producer, Ian. Hey, Ian. Hey, Meredith. Today's episode is a conversation with you and Dave Snyder, Brafton's own chief services officer and someone who I've worked pretty closely with since I started at Brafton. Yeah, back when this was recorded, I was still with Brafton and I was Dave's manager, but happily I can now just call him my friend. If you're a manager who has ever wondered, why am I working late nights and weekends while everyone else is off? This episode is for you. In the combo, we talk about the classic management article, Who's Got the Monkey by William Onken. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's O-N-C-K-E-N. Dave and I are both longtime fans of this article's advice, and we are constantly sending the link around. I've definitely referred to it as an absolute banger of a management article, and I stand by that. The gist of it is don't let your subordinates' problems immediately become your problems. And if you're going to help them with a challenge, you need to set clear boundaries and expectations for the ways in which you will support them in their problem solving. And it has great monkey imagery. There are elements of the language that are a little old school, and by that I just mean formal. Uh, For instance, it just inspired me to use that word subordinate, which kind of feels like borderline offensive today. It was first published in 1974, but the principles, I believe, are still very applicable today. And I think it also stands in really helpful contrast to, to some of the more nurturing coaching style management combos and ideas that we've talked about on the show so far. I believe it is imperative to support your teams. But your teams also need to support you and to get things done. This article can be a helpful and empowering reminder that you're the boss, which, as funny as it may sound, I know sometimes can be really necessary and helpful to managers. This is definitely a bit more of a casual episode. I hope you might still enjoy it and get something out of it. Either way, if you manage or hope to manage a team, definitely check out the article. We'll throw a link to who's got the monkey in the show notes. And if you haven't already, give my newsletter, also called Content People, a subscribe. Send start in February. A link will be in the show notes. Dave, thank you so much for doing this. Hi, Dave. Welcome to Content People. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I will say for our listeners, whomever they may be, that Dave is, well, Dave, I'll let you introduce yourself, but I'll say that we have worked together for 10 years and I'm super excited to get to have a nice conversation with you about some of the things that we talk about all the time and also just 10, well, an hour of slightly less structured theoretical conversation than we usually have the time to have. So thanks for doing this. And so you are our VP of services at Brafton. Do you want to kind of express what you do and a little bit of your history at Brafton so far. So I am the VP of services. I started a little over 10 years ago as a uh, writer with Brafton, um, uh, hired by you, actually. Um, <laughs> I I uh, eventually, after being a, a writer for uh, about three years, I believe it was, I had moved up to, I believe my title at the time was head writer. Um, that was when we introduced, when you introduced a new team at Brafton, the project management team. Um, I... Well, I was intrigued by the notion. I uh, applied to be part of that team. I was accepted as one of the inaugural members. Uh, <laughs> eventually, I became the uh, manager of that team. Um, and then eventually that 
team grew until the point where it needs to be split into multiple teams. Uh, I eventually assumed my current role of VP of services where I oversee all of our project management department, which is comprised of three teams, and then also our consulting department, which is um, also now uh, comprised of effectively uh, three teams, general consulting, PPC, and now uh, email marketing. The rule of three is strong with your <laughs> structures. Does seem to be. Uh, that's what I don't rem- I didn't remember that I hired you. Uh, yeah. Do you remember your interview? I'm sure I you do. do. People remember inter- they remember their interviews. Well, I was I was interviewed by someone else who I, whose name does actually uh, escape me. But um, as, as I'm sure you remember when we uh, when Brafton was first you know, starting or when I was first starting with Brafton, um, you didn't start as a salaried employee right away. You started as right. essentially a freelancer. Um, so I'd been doing some effectively freelance work for some time, and then. Um, and then eventually was you know made an offer for a full time salary position. You were the one who uh, made that that uh, that offer to me. So I do remember it was a brief conversation, but I do remember that you know, formally. I think of you, you as the one who officially hired me into a full time role at Brafton. I would formally like to say I am desperate for you to come on as a full time writer. That <laughs> was probably my internal script there. Um, and it worked out pretty well. Yeah. What year would so that was twenty. 12? Correct. Well, that, I also too started in that freelance capacity and then I think same thing a few months in, um, had a full-time writing role in the office. It's always, I know we've talked about it, but it's funny because we've all like, there's two draft anniversaries mm-hmm. that could come up. Uh, yeah. And everyone's always giving me like, hey, happy draft anniversary on the date that I don't think is my annual right. date. Likewise. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, all right, cool. So, yeah, you've had quite a wild ride at Brafton. And as you said, we both started as writers, which I feel like I always uh, appreciate about, I think it's really helpful at Brafton to have the experience of, or in any company really, to know exactly what it's like to do the roles that you're managing or overseeing or working with. And the kind of empathy and insight that it gives you is really valuable. Um, and I also love that about your origin story <laughs> from copywriter to VP of services in 10 years. And I'm sure you've got some really good advice for a lot of folks who are at different points in that career journey or trajectory in an agency or creative environment. So I'm really excited to get to talk to you about some of those pieces. Great. But one way, at, well, so let's see, I'm going to pull up that you and I kind of have a, a slightly, we have a few things that we'd like to hit on. One is that the article Who's Got the Monkey is something that you and I talk about a lot. It is a seminal classic management article about essentially, I think, mindset and delegation. And I have found it, I know, to be one of the most important management articles slash concepts that I think I've come across or engaged with in the last five or so years. And I know you and I have talked on it quite a lot and I want us to dig into it because I feel like it speaks to some really key elements of being successful managing in an agency environment. So I'm excited for us to dig in there and then also talk about, you know, how we apply some of those principles for new managers, what some basic takeaways might be when some of the concepts in that piece don't work. And then also, you know, the article and and so many 
bits of management advice talk a lot about managing down. I feel like you and I have talked a lot about how we found success and found that for both our staff and ourselves, how we manage up is really imperative toward how we, you know, how we get things done and how we progress. So I'm excited to, to kind of pick your brain about that a little bit and then kind of get some of your advice out for folks that are just starting out or in management roles looking to move up into VP level positions and kind of advice that you wish you could give your younger self. So I'm really excited to touch on all of those things with you. But first, all right, so who's got the monkey? We'll link to this in the show notes. This is an article that it's in Harvard Business Review. We have talked on this. Dave and I have talked on this at length because we both love it. I've given it out to so many new managers. We talked about it in the Brafton article book club. Dave, I feel like this is a link that you probably send around to some of the managers on your team sometimes as well. Is that right? I've definitely, I've definitely shared it and definitely made references to it uh, on numerous occasions. Okay. All right. So I recommend anyone who has not heard of this article gives it a read ASAP. I find it to be incredibly calming and clarifying advice around delegation and creating boundaries around ownerships of problems. I also think there are some issues with this article. It is from, I think it's from the early 90s. Let me see. 1999 was was when it was first published. Oh, what were you going to say? Maybe you've got... I I think it was actually originally published in uh, the 70s and that was reissued uh, as part of a Harvard Business Review compilation in the 90s. You are right. All right. So I'm reading the editor's note now. It says, Mm -hmm. originally published in November, December 1974 issue of HBR and has been one of the publication's two best-selling reprints ever. So it's been around. I do think there are elements of it that feel dated. You know, it's crazy. This article is almost 50 years old. It's 48 years old. Um, and there are some pieces as I read it now, I think mm, that's not going to, that doesn't work in today's environment. Uh, you're, if you said that to a member of your team, they might quit within the next week on you. So I, I'm curious to roll through those things mm-hmm. first. But first, like, what do, I'd be curious for your summary of what you think the article is aiming to convey its salient points and why it feels valuable. So I think the the article is ultimately, as you said, it's, it's around uh, you know, delegation more, more than anything else. So the you know, the metaphor that the the, the writer uses um, throughout the, the 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 piece, I believe the writers uh, William Omkin Jr. and Dane, Donald uh, Wass, I might be mispronouncing those. Um, but the the metaphor is that uh, problems are monkeys, and uh, the one of the pitfalls that managers can fall into is taking on monkeys problems from their subordinates to such a degree that they are not able to adequately resolve those problems. And what's more, while those problems are with the manager, while the monkeys are with the manager, the the staff members are not working on those problems and perhaps are not working on anything whatsoever. And so ultimately, by taking so many monkeys on, the, the, the workplace is inefficient, the manager's overworked and unproductive, nothing gets done. Um, and the uh, the the management advice that is ultimately being given throughout the essay is around how important it is for the manager to make sure that they do not take on too many of these monkeys, but rather ensure that staff members' monkeys stay with them and and they are able to uh, keep their monkeys fed and healthy and uh, and managed, um, leaving the manager with more time to work on uh, 
other aspects of the business, working on uh, system-wide issues, working on supervision as a more general concept, which is just not possible when when all their time is consumed by trying to maintain dozens upon dozens of monkeys that they've allowed to climb onto their own backs. Um, and so that, that's the that's the, the the question of who's got the monkey. If, if the manager has too many monkeys, then the, the, the office environment is going to, to suffer. It's important to uh, ensure that the number of monkeys on a manager's back remains reasonable. Yeah, totally. And as you so as you said, I, I think one key point here, there's this visual throughout the article that monkeys are problems. And I love that visual because whenever I read this article, I picture people walking around through the halls of maybe a 1970-something workplace with like actual monkeys on their backs. <laughs> and there's this one bit that I'm going to read. It's just a few sentences. So um, the paragraph is, let us imagine that a manager is walking down the hall and that he notices one of his subordinates, Jones, coming his way. When the two meet, Jones greets the manager with, good morning. By the way, we've got a problem. You see... As Jones continues, the manager recognizes in this problem the two characteristics common to all problems his subordinates gratuitously bring to his attention. Namely, the manager knows A, enough to get involved, but B, not enough to make the -the on-the-spot decision expected of him. Eventually, the manager says, so glad you brought this up. I'm in a rush right now. Let me think about it and I'll let you know. Then he and Jones part company. So then, you know, the article goes on to talk about there was a mistake made here, which is that the monkey transferred from fictional Jones's back to fictional manager's back. And the next steps and the thinking on this problem are now solely with the manager. And throughout the piece, the advice is essentially that if someone on your team has a problem, what you need to do is to keep them present and engaged with and maintaining official ownership of the problem. So I won't continue to read on, but I think that what the article would suggest a manager actually does if someone comes up and is like, hey, guy, woman, boss, whatever, I've got a problem, manager should say, okay, great, thank you. I'd like to discuss this so I understand it and can advise. Please book time on my calendar. I'll ask you to brief me on it. And I'll support you in thinking through action points. Done. And I think, it, I love this because I think those tiny habits are so impactful in number one, helping your teams embody and own a an ownership mindset around their own challenges and problems. I think that by removing, you know, keeping things off of your list as vague challenges that you need to think about, book time to talk about, create ideas around and like own the solutioning on, keeping those things off of your to-do list and compartmentalized with the folks who will ultimately be responsible for actioning and solving those problems is wildly freeing to your calendar and your headspace. You're compartmentalizing the problems and you're not losing track of them. They're not falling onto some, um, you know, they're not falling onto a, a, a to-do list that is never going to get completed. Someone else knows that they own it and they're going to, it's, you know, you're going to be in control of, okay, let's meet again on this in two days. Let's meet again on this next week, et cetera. 
So it keeps things from falling by the wayside. That, those are the main things that I take away from it and I find really freeing. And also I want to get down, go down a little further and talk about the way the article supports the reader by giving some specific language. But I'm curious, you might have different takeaways or what's like, how does this article kind of like empower or help you? Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I don't disagree with anything you said. And I, I was thinking, you know, in preparation for this conversation, you know, what what about this article really you know, spoke to me to, to speak to me? And I think that um, what it ultimately comes down to is, uh, well, for one thing, I think that this is the sort of, uh, this is a, a problem that I was having when I first, especially first uh, started getting into um, management. I think it's a, a common problem um, uh, is is taking on too many uh, monkeys. And so, you know, it really resonated with me because I, I, I immediately related to it on that, uh, on that, uh, on that footing. I think that, you know, in, in line with that, but also beyond it, the, the management problems and advice um, that that I I find myself most drawn to and the discussions I most enjoy taking part of um, surround those aspects of management where what seems like good manage, management behavior, what seems like you know admirable management actually causes problems. And yeah. those are the sorts of pitfalls that especially new managers, I think, are likely fall into because on the surface, when you you know you described that uh, that anecdote with the the you know, manager walking down the hall and coming across Jones, the manager's response I think to most people he you know it makes sense and it seems reasonable and I think especially someone who is new to management would you know they want to as a good manager they want to be supportive and helpful that sounds like a supportive helpful approach and so it seems like the way to to handle the situation and it's only upon further reflection and looking at the you know, the broader perspective looking at the implications and consequences of this sort of approach at scale, they realize why it can be so damaging and why it can be so untenable for a, you know, healthy organization. Um, so I really, I really appreciate and I like, I am drawn to those sorts of aspects of management where the, you know, the correct approach um, is in some ways, you know, to someone who's not as uh, well versed in management is sort of counterintuitive. You have to be kind of, you know, almost meaner or you have to be a little bit more, you know, less, you have to seem uh, less supportive, but ultimately that is the more supportive approach for the broader team and the broader health of the the organization and the environment um it's it's i i i i think that when i first started game management i very much had the same mindset of like let me help i'll i'll help you know, i'll help here i'll help there i'll try to take these things on and it's just not tenable and it causes all these other you know further down the line problems that you don't see at that at that time um and i think they just need to through through you know through hearing this sort of advice and through through being a manager you start to realize you start to realize how, in some cases, you need to take a you know a firmer line, or need to draw you know you need to draw barriers, and that actually is for everyone's benefit, not just your own. Yeah, absolutely, I totally agree with that. Um, and I I have lots to say about what what you just said, but I also feel like we should express to that a little further down in the article. It kind of paints a picture of the manager who doesn't have the good boundaries you're talking about, who is maybe taking the overly amenable, maybe people pleasing approach to things. And has, you know, he, the example is that it is a Sunday and this manager goes into the office because he or she has so many monkeys to sort Mm -hmm. through. They need the quiet time without folks around them to get their team's work done essentially. Um, and you know, they look out the window, which is serendipitously right across from the golf course mm-hmm. where all of the direct reports are having a nice Sunday golfing. And then on Monday, one of the direct reports comes in, knocks on the door and is like, hey, how are we doing with that problem of mine mm-hmm. that you said you'd work on? 
And I bet tons, you know, there are tons of people who could read this and be like, oh, I have been there. Yeah. Where I suddenly feel like I am now the subordinate of the people who report into me and they're waiting on me to take next steps with these vague problems that I have inadvertently through subtle elements of mishandling made wholly my own. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you said, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, one other, I think that that's exactly right. I think it's a very you know, evocative um, you know, metaphor. And just there's one other element of that that also really uh, you know, stood out to me again when I was rereading this uh, article in preparation is that uh, the people on the golf course, the direct reports are talking about how the manager can't make a decision and is holding everything up. And if only they would just, you know, just, just move things along, then, you know, everyone would be able to get their jobs done. Um, meanwhile, the manager is, like you said, uh, boarded up in their office trying to handle the feeding of 60 monkeys and still struggling to try to get everything uh, under control. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that the article gets that in there because I feel like no manager should ever be subject to having to hear what everyone who reports to them complains <laughs> about when they out on a Sunday, like <laughs> psychological true. impact of that is just too grave. Um, but yeah, I totally, totally uh, agree with so much of what you said. And I also think to your point that when new managers come into the job, there is often a desire to please and support and do well by, and they want to allow situations and dynamics that let their reports feel like, oh, thank God for so-and-so because they fixed this for me, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera. But really over time, I think, especially if you've got a lot of things to manage and a lot of things to get done, I think that healthiest approach, which this article is, I think it, it could go further, but you know, it espouses boundaries for sure. An incredibly clear and precise delineation and assignment of ownership of problems. And I think we should talk a little bit about some of the language it gives around that. I think that for me, what I take away is that good management is about good, clear, established boundaries. Now, I think that what the article doesn't go into sufficiently is that as a manager, you also have discretion about when you are going to reach your own boundaries and decide for whatever reason that actually you're going to own something that you would prefer the team to own for reasons around, for, for myriad reasons around the context of the problem, which I think we can talk on in a little bit. But I want to pull up and just chat through a little bit around Mm, Okay. So this is like very 1970s language, but in the story at this point, the manager's so fed up with his Sunday working while his team golfed and asked him how things are coming that he comes up with basically really good, healthy boundaries. And he meets with one of the subordinates on a Monday or Tuesday morning. And the article reads, When the subordinate with the monkey on his or her back and the manager meet at the appointed hour the next day, the manager explains the ground rules in words to this effect. At no time when I'm helping you with this or any other problem will your problem become my problem. The instant your problem becomes mine, you no longer have a problem. I cannot help a person who hasn't got a problem. When this meeting is over, the problem will leave this office exactly the way it came in on your back. You may ask my help at any appointed time, and we will make a joint determination of what the next move will be and which of us will make it. In those rare instances where the next move turns out to be mine, you and I will determine it together. I will not make any move alone. 
The manager follows the same line of thought with each subordinate until about 11 a.m. when he realizes he doesn't have to close his office door. His monkeys are gone. They will return, but by appointment only, his calendar will assure this. So one, I have to say, I do love this. But two, and maybe this was appropriate in 74, I just cannot use, I would could convey this to someone at this point, but I could never imagine mm-hmm. using this language right. to say this. I feel like you'd get a blank stare and someone would be like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> um, but I do like that the article gives helpful language because I feel like, especially for newer managers, so often finding your management style is actually just finding the language that you use to articulate what feels to be right to you and the the ground rules and approach that you essentially want to establish. So I would never recommend anyone use that script, but I do mm-hmm. think finding a modern, more collaborative and uh, less condescending way to say that is really helpful when trying to uh, kind of make this shift. Um, I know. What are your thoughts on that part? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, the sent. I think the sentiment is 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 admirable, and it's you know, I, I very much in, in line with what I was you know saying before. It sounds harsh. It sounds and it is harsh. And it's again, the language is overly harsh. But like the, even the concept sounds harsh. The concept of saying you know this problem is your problem. It's not going to become my problem. That seems like a very you know, it seems like a very confrontational and 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 adversarial thing t- for a manager to say to a subordinate. But the reality is like this is how any workplace needs to function, the manager has their own problems, their own monkeys that are coming from other directions and from up above. They can't take on every problem. Their jo- their job is to manage, not to not to just do the, everyone else's uh, jobs for them. And that's what happens when the monkeys keep landing on their their back. So the the notion of drawing that line and being very firm in that line, I think is 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 spot on. Um, but you know, to your point, I think both the literal language and also I think some of the sentiments uh, you know, behind it are are rather um, rather extreme. And I definitely would think that anyone who received that sort of a, a conversation from their manager would would feel unsupported. And and I think reasonably so. Um, there's ways of essentially conveying the same notion of, generally speaking, your problems will remain your problems. I will be there to help guide you and help you, uh, you know, determine the, your course of action, but it will remain your course of action. I think that is I think that's the correct sentiment. I think that though the, you know, one of the things I know we'll talk a little bit uh, later on around some of the, you know, maybe quibbles we might have with, with some of the article, despite how much we like it. For me, one of the things that, you know, does stand out, and I think this is common in, in many of these sorts of managerial um, guides and, and essays and such is it does treat every monkey as the same and, and the, as the solution mm-hmm. for addressing these monkeys as the same across the board. And I think, you know, there's a lot of different species of monkeys out there. And I do think that there will be different approaches warranted for different uh, situations. This approach, this you know, hard line uh, barrier approach might be correct 99% of the time. Um, but I would have to imagine that even in this 1974 workplace, there would be some situations where it does make more sense for the manager to say, let me, I'll take that monkey, that specific monkey. I will take that one because I, I for whatever reasons I have, but the 99% of other monkeys will remain with my staff. Um, but you know, the, the essay does just, you know, it doesn't open the door to that possibility. Yeah. I think what the essay presupposes is that the staff members have the ability to effectively and efficiently actually resolve these issues. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly moments as a manager where you might come across a problem and you think, mm, I have the problem that I have a team member who can't solve their own problems. I feel like in that instance, you know, sometimes you're like, well, this person, it, 
probably through a fault of my own, like I've put this person in a role or position that is not best serving them or us. So like, how do I resolve this? I think very often it's actually this person needs some support, guidance, and training about how to do this in the future. And then I think some of these boundaries and principles still apply. For example, I can think of newer managers that I've worked with where I would still, you know, say say we had a, um, a new manager of a team and there are one, this person I feel is the right fit for the job, but I know they're going to need lots of mentorship and training over the next year to really get there. So a few basic things are number one, do we have a rolling agenda doc that they own? I, that's true of me for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think true of you for everyone yeah. too, but I feel like it's especially important in this moment because as problems come up throughout the day, via email, in meetings, we use Gchat, but Slack, whatever, it's helpful for you as the manager to say, blank, can you please add this to our agenda for tomorrow? Yeah. And then number two is really frequent like daily meetings with those new folks so that you can with them in real time work through the challenges sometimes in front of them. You know, I've done stuff like writing emails, policy docs, uh, actually doing whatever spreadsheet work needs to get done like in front of people. And sometimes mm-hmm. they might be like, can I just get off this call if you're just going to do it? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> if you can't do it, that's okay. But you got to watch me do it and ask questions so that next time you can do it in front of me with my support. And then in six months from now, you do this and we never talk about it again. So I do think that the by appointment only and the compartmentalization and the official ownership of problems can all still be helpful, even when you're doing so much mentorship training, et cetera. And I feel like you take similar approaches. Um, I don't know what's your what are your thoughts on that? I feel yeah. Do you I feel like you do kind of the same thing? Yeah. Well, I I, I think I, I think I know where I lo- learned those techniques from. Um, from you know, I I have been the uh, the person I'm sure in the in uh, in some of the situations where you know working through you know have sh- you showing me you know how to how to do some of these things and then I do you know take it to heart and try to then you know own that that process going forward in the future so that we don't have to do it together in in the future. And then I've taken that same approach with. People who are important to me, managers and otherwise, um, you know, because I, I, I do, I very much agree with it. And I've appreciated the, you know, the, the experience myself uh, over the years. Um, I do, I do definitely think that, um, like, like you're saying, uh, the, the, a lot of these situations, it's important to recognize that there is a twofold problem. You know, short term, long term. The short term problem is whatever yeah. the actual, you know, need is. The, you know, the, the, the client is upset. The, the policy needs to be written. The communication needs to be rolled out. Whatever the case may be. But then there's also the problem that this person who ideally owns that problem doesn't know how to solve that problem, and so uh, the solution that's you know the way it's presented in this in this article, um, you know, I think it does open the door to having a conversation around how we will work through it together. But they, they make such a point, though, you know, that essay writer makes such a point of of saying, you know, this will still be your you know, you will be the one doing it. I will just weigh in on it when I think that you are entirely correct. That like there are those times. It makes sense for the manager to do it themselves, but to solve the in order to solve the short term problem. But they are also solving the long term problem by training and teaching, and now reducing the likelihood that the same sort of situation ap- uh, uh, appears in the future. And I think that that does actually speak to the you know one of the key um, key elements of this article as a whole, which is um, I think that in a vacuum, um, any given monkey that is you know, that appears, it might make sense 
in and of itself for the manager to just take care of it by themselves. You know, like that might be the most efficient thing to be done in that moment. But it's when you look at the holistic situation, when you when you try to do this at scale, that it becomes completely untenable for the manager to take on all those all those monkeys. And so it is, I think, uh, you know, it's it's really speaks to me in, in regard to the broader framework of management in that, that you do need to have this 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 broader perspective as a manager than you do have as a you know, as a as a staff member um and the broader perspective requires that you are not overloading yourself and also that you're not leaving problems just in the wind you need to be working to solve those problems but also working to create a system that doesn't allow those problems to be either continually created or at the very least make sure that those problems don't continually fall onto your back out of necessity yeah as you're talking on i'm thinking to how i feel like this approach. And even if you're in the middle with someone that you're kind of mentoring, supporting through elements of this approach, it's twofold in that number one, it's so important to like reducing burnout. Because if you feel that you own every problem that could pop up across your teams, Mm -hmm. the mental weight of getting up in the morning and signing on to see like what fresh hell awaits you on email is awful, existentially terrible, um, not sustainable. And, and I think, you know, totally could lead to burnout 100%. So I, I think these boundaries also allow you to one, sometimes just feel a little happier or for me, at least to feel happier as a manager. I don't want every single thing that goes wrong to become my problem on the spot or in the future. And also I think long-term these practices are imperative to building out a stronger and more autonomous team. By doing this work, even if it's a more modified version of it where you're working with people but not doing their work for them, you are training and developing a team that in two or three years is going to be, you know, light years ahead of where they'd be if you just solved their problems for them. And that, I have to say, I feel definitely this way with um, are you like our, our, the creative production and service management team across the board? Generally, I'm like, man, everyone is just doing so well right now. Like, I am in a spot where I get to weigh in, advise, supervise, give input, but I don't feel like everybody, you know, I don't wake up and think, <laughs> what's gonna happen today? Who owns this problem? So for, yeah, for me, it's been like freeing and incredibly imperative to my general happiness. Um, but I do think like, so let's talk about the stuff that we think wouldn't work today. For me, I'd say that I feel like a couple things, one communication. So in line with like that dated language, I feel like now we've evolved so much in the last 50 years as like professional norms have changed so much that I don't think. I can't imagine a boss saying something like that and not following it up with like, how do you feel about this? What's your input? What's your take? Like, uh, I think it's so important now that we're always encouraging and having open, honest, transparent two-way conversations. Because uh, I, I I also love the idea of like the cartoon version of this article where it just all goes to hell. And like <laughs> the manager walks out of his peaceful office one day and like, 30 monkeys are hanging from the ceiling and setting things on fire essentially because like right. nobody can communicate effectively. They couldn't get the problem solved. No one's talking to the manager because they're afraid to say that 
They can't solve the problem without his help. Um, they misunderstand what he says because he's not checking in to like, you know, confirm things have been communicated and understood. Um, it could, it could go south really fast. And so the communication side for me, I think that would not fly today as a manager, you have to work harder to make sure people understand and are aligned with what you're saying. And then I also think that so many roles now, there's more of an expectation of a player coach. If you're going to be in a big management role, the expectation is that you're training and developing your folks for the most part to do what needs to be done. It, I feel like it would be rare for someone to be kind of just installed in a big leadership role where the team's great. They're already set. You're just supervising people with 25 years experience and making sure things, you know, that uh, everything's uh, continuing to run well. I mean, I'm sure that happens. I just, unless I don't hear about those roles that much. So those are the two things for me. Mm -hmm. What about you? What do you feel like is, doesn't work for you or for this day and age. Yeah, no, I, I think I think very very similar. I mean, I think I definitely agree that you know the communication side of it. I you know, in, in the scenario you're, you're, you mentioned where you know, the manager you know, or the scenario, the scenario from the, the the essay where the manager has all these meetings and they deliver that you know that line to every every staff member. All of the monkeys are put back onto the staff members' uh, backs, and the manager's office is clear, clear of monkeys. And you know he's, he has a moment of peace, it seems. But then, to your point, in that scenario, I can I see that you know in the cartoon version, like you were describing, manager leaves the 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 office and sees the monkeys aren't on his back or in his office, but they're also not on the employees' back because they've all quit. And now there's just like thirty <laughs> monkeys running running through the right. office, destroying everything. Uh, I think that you know the reality is that uh, certainly you know today. Um, there, there are expectations on the employee side as to you know the kind of treatment you would receive from your manager in in, in, in a workplace, and um, as you know, you know, you and you and I and others who have been you know doing recruitment um, in the last uh, year uh, year plus, um, you know, it, there's a, a, a lot of demand for for uh, a lot of a lot of roles these days, and people have options available to them, and uh, people want to work in a workplace that compensates them, of course, but also a workplace where they feel valued and they feel like they are. Um, you know that the, the environment in general is productive and collaborative and and uh, congenial, and I think that you know, a manager laying down the law in this sort of way, making it very clear that they're not going to provide more than a very minimal degree of assistance, that's not going to fly for a lot of people. They're gonna they're gonna look elsewhere. Is the reality? Um, so I think as a manager, you do you know you need to make sure you're not taking on too many monkeys, but you are you need to make sure that your team stays intact if the team is in fact made of good quality people that you want to keep, uh, keep in, uh, keep in, in their, in their current roles. Um, yeah. So I do, I do think that the reality is just that, you know, there are certain tactics that might've been viable at that time that um, are just simply too harsh, uh, you know, setting, setting aside the question whether they're effective, they're just simply too harsh for, uh, for the current, the current environment. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, in some ways, as I read this article, I feel like the environment I picture it in is one of those, Fifty years ago, where people worked at the same company for thirty years, and mm -hmm. their hope was just yeah. to continue to do a solid job and continue to ascend through the ranks. And now there is so much more job movement, job hopping. People, to a certain extent, like creating preferences or not creating preferences. It's not the right word. What I'm trying to say, people like I'm put, using inverted quotes here, but following their bliss a little bit more mm -hmm. professionally and changing things up. And so a lot of folks, I think, are looking for managers that they can learn from and who are going to help them and support them and nurture them. So by being a manager and many, many folks, not everybody, but lots of people are looking for also a bit of a mentor. 
I think that's complex in some ways because the historical version was a little more transactional. Like you didn't have to feel like your boss was giving you archetypal parental approval or nurturing and moving you along. You just had to know what they wanted you to do to think you were doing a good job and then try and do it. Now it's a little, it's more complex. And in some ways I feel like, oh, probably to the better, like we are all people. Of course you want to be working with people that you can learn from, connect with, have a nice work relationship or friendship with, but also work is still transactional. And every now and then I think maybe that was easier, but I don't know. Do you (laughs) know what I I mean? I do. And I think, and I I think back to something, uh, something that you said much earlier that I think is very common among especially newer managers, which is this, this drive to be a people pleaser. But I think that, you know, that, that sounds, you know, sounds, you know, it sounds like a negative thing being a people pleaser. Um, and usually the connotation there is that you just like are saying whatever it takes to, you know, to make someone happy in the moment. And for, you know, in, in, in this essay, in this, you know, in the case of the employees at the beginning of the essay, you know, what makes them happy is, you know, taking the monkey off their back. Um, but I think that the reality is that, you know, a, ma- a good manager should be a people pleaser in the sense that they want their staff to be happy in their roles. Uh, people, your staff are not going to be doing their jobs to the best of their abilities if they're not happy in the roles and they're not going to stay in those roles if they're not ultimately happy. But that doesn't mean that you just do whatever they want or do their jobs for them. I think that if you have those sorts of people on your team, that that is what it would take to make them happy. You don't want those people on your team long term. So the problem solves itself by virtue of you know not not taking those monkeys on overly. The people that you want to keep on your team and I think this is generally true for you know, most employees in my experience. They don't want their jobs to be done for them, but they do want to feel like they have clarity about what their job is and how they are expected to go about doing it. But they still want to be the ones to do it. And so a good manager is someone who I think like you're, you're describing is, um, you know, is providing you know, a degree of mentorship and is taking the approach of you know, showing them how to be successful in the future. Um, but that doesn't mean that you are again, doing their jobs uh, for them. So, so I think there is a, you know, an element of, um, of people pleasing, quote unquote, but understanding that it's not as, it's not as uh, necessarily, um, um, it's not as simply a matter of just doing someone's job for them. There's a lot more that goes into keeping staff pleased, but that is something that is important as a, as a manager to keep a team productive and happy and in place. Yeah, totally. It's such a calibration of not just, mm-hmm. you know, the, whose problem is this? How, when do I reach my boundaries and solve it versus when do I give it to them? But then also, how are they feeling? What does that mm-hmm. mean for, you know, if someone's really stressed out, but they're a key person, for example, a problem comes up that maybe in other weeks, you'd be like, all right, you know, I might, why don't you think about this? Bring a plan to me on Tuesday, set some time with me, walk me through it. I'll give you any feedback. Now, as I say that, I'm like, that's probably the right approach for nearly any problem. But you, maybe it's it's a moment where you're like, mm, they need a 15 minute chat with me later to kind of like, I can tell they're frustrated about this. And I want to make sure that I hear them out. And two, I might suggest a more collaborative, let's book time together and work through it. You know, so like the constant mm-hmm. calibration of yeah. how are they doing and feeling and knowing like, you don't want to, if they're struggling not not giving them the straw that breaks the camel's back in so far as how they're doing that day or that week. Um, so there is that kind of like caretaking element of, of management too, which this article doesn't doesn't really touch on at all. But also as you're talking, I'm thinking something that I've found, which is like, you know, the idea of when we are training, coaching, mentoring, you have to make sure that the folks on your team are 
open to and interested in that from you most of the time. Because if you hire in someone, especially into like any position, I was going to say especially management, but actually I don't know if that's true. And they are not interested at all in your thoughts, ethos, approach to things, but also maybe not fully equipped to just handle the problems their own way perfectly. Mm -hmm. That's when it's really challenging because you almost are trying to convince someone to be open to your experience, input, and feedback. And that can create, like, I think if you know someone's going to need mentorship and support from you and isn't just going to be a totally autonomous contributor, you have to feel out and make sure they're going to be open to that. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty miserable for the both of you. Yeah, no, certainly. And I think I think there is an element to, I, 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 you know, I, as you're describing someone with that sort of mindset, I'm, I'm starting to think about, you know, people that I've managed over the years and the people who I've felt that way about, that, you know, they're probably not, they're, it probably didn't work out ultimately, because I think that, um, you know, there is an element to this of, you know, I guess, going back to the notion of, um, you know, people pleasing, um, there is an, ocean, an element where you want to, um, you know, you need to make sure you're calibrating, like you said, finding the right way to, uh, to, to manage someone. And sometimes there are, I'm, I'm sure there are people who, you know, might not be open to the sort of approaches that we're describing here, but would be still able to be productive in their roles. But I think that more often than not, someone who's so closed off to a such a you know general and I would say benign approach that we're describing here is someone who's also probably going to come across problems that they are not either equipped to or interested in solving. Um, and ultimately, that's just not going to be viable from a long term perspective in in all you know in most roles, perhaps not all, but in most roles. All right. Well, I feel like this is kind of a good segue because I know one thing that we've talked on a bit and we wanted to talk on a little bit is managing up. I feel like you've talked a bit about managing up. Now, one, I want to acknowledge, like, I don't want to put you in the awkward position of on a podcast being like, well, 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 Meredith, finally, let me tell you about all the stuff I do to deal with your bullshit, which I'm sure you do. Um, but so maybe let's, I mean, if you want to, I could take it, but, or maybe we talk on it privately, but I would say for this, maybe we focus on for our own teams and, I won't be, you know, I won't be speaking to you. I can be speaking in theoreticals. I think I'd love to start with you. Like when it comes to folks on your team, what do you wish that especially newer people knew about managing up? And I'm curious about your thoughts on this for both like the staff that reported to you, but also the managers and directors that you oversee. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think that there is an, a large element of um, the, the word you used before calibration comes to mind. I think that um, successful uh, upward management is, and I guess also I'm, I'm thinking about the, the people pleasing side of it uh, again. Uh, I think that you know to be successful in whatever your role is, you want to have you know a good relationship with your manager. You, your manager more than yourself dictates the, the 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 ways in which your relationship operates. But that doesn't mean that you aren't able to uh, you know to find ways to you know to to work work within that system for your own, um, you know, t- to your own styling and to your own, um, you know, t- to your own strengths, I suppose. So I guess to get more um, specific than that, um, something you mentioned before, actually, I keep alluding back to earlier parts of this conversation, but you mentioned the, the notion of agendas. And I've definitely taken the approach that you described where everyone who reports into me, we have a shared agenda document. I will, uh, you know, populate items onto it periodically in preparation for whatever we meet next. Um, but I also very much expect that that they do so themselves. And I make it very clear to people that I expect them to, as time goes on, you know, this I'm thinking of, you know, a, a new a new hire or a new manager. As time goes on, I expect the majority of the items on our agenda to be items that they have added, not items that I have added. You know, I will add certain things, but I want them to tell me what are the things we need to to discuss. And you know, I, I, I make that um, you know, pretty clear to them. But 
it's not always, you know, it's not always intuitive how to go about doing that. And I think there is a skill to to knowing how you know what things to bring to that agenda and and how to frame them. And something that I, I was talking with recently to uh, uh, someone who reports into me who is actually training a another person who's entering into management. Um, we're having just a check in sort of conversation, and it suddenly occurred to me like I want this new manager to manage me in this regard the same way the the, the current manager does. So I said. I told the current manager, I want you to do an agenda training with the new manager. I want you to you know, train her to build and deliver agendas for our one-to-ones the way you do with our one-to-ones, um, which I thought was, you know, for one thing, it's you know, getting the monkey down on my back, but onto the back of the, the person who reports into me, but also preparing the new person uh, to you know, work with me, to manage me effectively in the way that I would want to be managed. Um, the person who I directed to do this training, I hadn't given her this training. She just over time clearly figured out this is the way I like the agendas to be set up. This is the sort of information I like to have available. This is what leads to the most productive conversations for both of us. And she just calibrated over time and, and to the point where the agendas are always, you know, I always open them up I'm like, perfect, this is what we need to talk about. Here's all the information I need to get started. Where do we begin? Um, so I think that, you know, that's, I, I think I, I would like to think that she probably learned a bit of that uh, for myself, because I think that that's the approach I strive to take with, you know, with you and me, with, you know, I try to make sure that our, you know, I do think I, I you know, try to own most of the agenda items and I try to come prepared to say, like, here are the things we need to talk about. Here are links to helpful materials that'll be you know, necessary for that conversation. Um, I think I, I perhaps to some extent have just kind of, subconsciously even uh, perhaps responded to what I found to be, you know, the, the ways that our conversations were most productive. I thought I, I try to um, take approaches that I think that will yield those results. Um, consciously or subconsciously, I think that there's just certain things that you learn over time if you are actively calibrating at all times. Yeah, I think that's that's 100% true. And as you're talking about it, I'm kind of thinking, well, I mean, one, like I need to say, like you do a wonderful job with our agendas and meetings. And like, it's one of the many reasons I love working with you. And two, I am aware that probably over the years, the folks that I've managed in some ways have maybe, especially in earlier days, like unconsciously or on their own figured out how to work with me, which I think, you know, I want, it's humbling to work with people for 10 years. Cause you like improve and get better. And you think back and you're like, Oh God, I wish I hadn't done that <laughs> back in the day. But also, as you're talking too, I feel like for me, and I, I'd imagine for you too, it sounds like you're in the midst of it right now. Over the years, I've gotten better at expressing and articulating to new managers how to best work with me. I remember like five or seven years ago, maybe I had a new report and they were like, so, you know, what do you like, how should I work with you as a manager? And I think back on that combo and I think I did like a pretty shitty job of like articulating mm. and expressing that because. One, no one had ever asked me that before. And two, I just think I didn't have, I didn't yet have an answer at the ready or as fully formed a sense of my own approach and ethos and expectations. And I hope that now I'm much better at that, at being like, this is what I like. This is how I'm like. This is what I need from you. This is what I'm really interested in your feedback on. Cause for us to figure out how we all work, how we together work together. Mm -hmm. Um, and it sounds like you're in the midst of that too, where you're like, okay, well, this manager I've been managing for a couple of years, she figured it out. And now you're like, ah, now I can articulate to this new manager exactly what I'm looking yeah. for in ways that previously maybe it wouldn't have been top of mind to do. Yeah, it's it's a you know an organic process that it can now be replaced by a more direct, you know, immediate process of just you know, th- this is what we eventually landed on and it works really well. Let's start there instead of getting there eventually. 
Yeah. Well, okay. I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but I want to, you know, I want to ask you, so you've been at Brafton for 10 years. You started as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. You're now our VP of services and you oversee a large project management team with three divisions, our consulting team with three separate divisions. Like, why do you think you've done so well? What advice do you have for other folks who are working in a similar environment who might want to kind of do what you've done? I think that, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this at a prior to our conversation. I think the, you know, the, the thing that, um, the mistake, I suppose, that I feel like I was making earlier on in my career that I, I do believe I eventually uh, course corrected on, uh, you know, one of, I shouldn't say the one of, um, was that I was not actively seeking out or trying to create opportunities for myself. Um, I I think I was ultimately, in hindsight, very lucky that, uh, you know, as I as I you know, described in my my uh, my you know, my career arc, I was very lucky that uh, you happened to be creating a, a a team that when I heard about, it, I'm like, oh, that really sounds like something I would like to be doing. I up to that point, I was a writer, and I thought of myself as a writer, and you know, full stop. And but in you know, as I look back and I think about the things that you know, I feel like have made me successful, the things I enjoy about my my current role and previous roles I've had. Um, I mean, I do still enjoy writing. I, I write a lot of emails and policy documents and things, so the writing is still relevant. Um, but there's a lot of other things that go beyond that. Um, you know, my, I, I appreciate workflow development. I appreciate people management and things like that. That just I wasn't really thinking about as 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 areas for me to explore um, because I you know sort of had a narrow view of myself and my you know my my potential I guess career development. So what I so I guess I guess there's two parts. This one is. You know, there's the sort of, you know, I guess advice I would have given to myself that I would give to, you know, uh, younger people who are starting out is to not put yourself too much in a box and really try to think expansively about what are your skills and interests? What are the sorts of things that you like doing and would like to do more of? Um, I, I don't really think I was originally thinking in those terms. And I just happened to have my eyes open by an opportunity that really like with black, like really flashing lights and blaring sirens is like right in front of me and I couldn't ignore it. Um, but I wasn't actively looking for something like that. In hindsight, probably, you know, I should have been trying to find an opportunity that, you know, spoke to those skill sets and those interests because they they are very, they're, you know, they're very much you know a big part of who I am, I think. And I've been fortuitous to, you know, to get to that role. And then ever since then, I've been developing those skills. And I believe I have been, you know, more looking to seek, you know, create and or seize opportunities that have presented themselves at Brafton for, either you know, new roles or new responsibilities or new roles and responsibilities. Um, but, the, you know, since then, I don't think they've necessarily been so obvious, uh, uh, you know, to, an, to an, uh, an objective observer from the outside. I have had to be looking for them or trying to create them. And I, uh, and I do do that uh, now in ways that I didn't do, didn't do so early in my career. Early in my career is much more passive, I suppose. Um, so I do think that to a certain extent, you know, they, these opportunities might, present themselves, but you you should not assume that they will. You should be looking for uh you should be looking for those opportunities. But again, you can also you can create those opportunities, I find. If you're if you see a a a, a need or you see an opportunity for improvements, is there anything stopping you from being the person to say, I would like to do this thing, not you know, not just waiting for someone to ask for a show of hands for who wants to work on this thing. And I think that sort of ethos has um, it was, it's very much how I approach my work now. And I think it would have been beneficial to do it even earlier. It just wasn't, you know, just wasn't the way I was thinking back then. Yeah, that, that really resonates with me as well, too. Uh, I think, I think, I don't know, I, I think, too, sometimes when folks are just like their first year or two into the workforce, sometimes it's, it's just overwhelming to mm-hmm. like figure out how it all works. And you're more in just a like, I don't know, uh, 
not exactly panic mode or fight or flight, but you're just kind of like just white knuckling it through the basics. And then when, then there's a moment at some point where you get to be like, okay, but what do I want? Not just what do I need to like prove I can manage the basic functions of for sure. And yeah, but I agree with what you're saying. And I also think, you know, we got to go in a minute, but I like what you said about creating your own opportunities because I think a lot of people would appreciate, you know, a boss or uh, an off, a job offer coming to them and being their dream job, essentially. Like, I think you're great at blank. Would you like to do X, Y, Z? And I think that, I'm, you know, those happen. But often you have to kind of carve it out for yourself or push for it or you have to have the vision for it before anybody else does. And I think for some people, it can feel kind of uncomfortable. They're like, I don't want to, f- I don't want to bulldoze my way into convincing people I can do X, Y, Z. But mm-hmm. sometimes that is what you have to do, and it doesn't mean that you don't deserve it. Uh, it just means like, you know, it's on you to to express to people what you can do. Yeah. I agree. And I think that, you know, in some of these cases, there are more immediate opportunities, like a new role opens up or can be created. But sometimes it's more just around building up your expertise and your experience and being able to say, this is a thing I have done. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a feather in my cap. And, it, you know, I, I speak for myself, but I think it's true for, for most people who are in you know, management and leadership positions. Uh, they remember those people who, who's who st- stood up and said like i want to do this thing and then in fact did do it you know whether maybe there's not an opportunity to give to that person on a permanent basis at that moment but time passes opportunities you know do naturally become you know create themselves and then you are now the person who's top of mind when a decision has to be made about who's going to lead this new team or lead this new initiative or or whatever the case may be so sometimes the you know the opportunities they are creating are further down in the future than you can actually see at that time, but that doesn't mean they're not going to appear. I think that's really great advice. Um, All right. Well, Dave, thank you for doing this with me. Thank you very much for having me. I I had fun. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Dave. Next week, we'll be coming to you with an interview with career development expert, Ellen Gillis. To support the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe. Those things make a huge difference. And if you like today's conversation, you'll probably like the Content People newsletter. Subscribe at the link in the show notes. And that's it, folks. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can always email us at contentpeople at brafton.com.